So we know in the world, the man of Solomon, he said there's nothing new under the sun. In the context of this passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, we're going to see something that's not new to our world. We're going to see something that we even see in our world today. There is ethnic tension. There is divide. There is hostility among people groups. You can go back to the days of Jesus Christ and see such a great animosity among the Jews and among the Gentiles. If you grew up in my generation in school, they would always play the movie Hotel Rwanda between the hostile factions, between the Hutus and the Tutsis. We think of World War II, the Nazis from Germany persecuting the Jews. This is ethnic tension. This is ethnic divide. But the gospel of Jesus Christ comes in. The cross and the blood of Jesus comes in. And at the, at the climax of this text, we are going to see Christ bring reconciliation and new identity to formerly hostile Jews and Gentiles. And the point we are driving home today is that today, Jesus Christ destroys all ethnic hostility and unites all believers into one new family. So we are going to see in this passage the previous position of these Gentiles. We will then see the peacemaker, who is Jesus Christ. And then we will see the promised position, where God demonstrates the great privileges that we have as children of God. But there is, amidst the animosity and amidst the hostility with Jews and Gentiles, there is a peculiar passage in the Old Testament that struck me when I read it a couple of months ago. And it demonstrates after King David died, his son Solomon was charged by God to build the temple, the temple for Israel. But there's an interesting turn in this story. There was a man, a king of Tyre. His name was King Hiram. He was from the region of Sidon, Tyre, and the Jews, the Israelites, would have considered this region unclean. You see, even Jesus, when he goes up to Tyre and Sidon, the disciples don't want to go up there because that region is seen as unclean. But in this story in the Old Testament, there's a foreshadow of what is going to take place when the Messiah comes on the scene. Solomon needs to build the temple, but because David always loved King Hiram of Tyre, a Gentile region, Solomon takes and asks Hiram to help him build the temple of God. Hiram is overjoyed because Hiram also loved David. Hiram brings his cypress timber. He brings all his metal workers. He brings the foreigners into Israel to help him build the temple of God where the dwelling place of the Spirit would be. And it says at the end of 1 Kings chapter 5 that there was a peace treaty between Solomon and King Hiram, unclean man, unclean people, peace with the Jews, the people of God who were ordained by God to be the light to the nations. We see also that foreshadow of Jews and Gentiles building up the temple of God. And then we see not just a foreshadow in the Old Testament, but a prophecy. Zechariah 6, chapter 12 through 15 says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is a man whose name is Branch. 
He will branch out from his place and build the Lord's temple. Yes, he will build the Lord's temple. He will bear royal splendor and will sit on his throne and rule. There will be a priest on his throne. There will be a peaceful council between the two of them. The crown will reside in the Lord's temple as a memorial to Heldai, Tobiah, Jediah, and Hen, son of Zephaniah. People, listen, people who are far off will come and build the Lord's temple. And you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. This will happen when you fully obey the Lord your God. A prophecy spoken to the people of Israel. But we're coming to the days of Jesus after the cross, after the ascension. Paul is addressing the Ephesians in Western modern day Turkey. This is where Ephesus is. This is a people and a church that is majority Gentile. What is a Gentile? A non-Jew. You have the people, the Jewish people, and then you have Gentiles who are every other people group under heaven. We have to understand that because there are people today who will distort who a Gentile is. A Gentile are, are the people of the nations other than Israel. So we see a great animosity arise. We see even in the days of Jesus, he goes into the Gentile regions. He eats with tax collector and Gentile sinners, as Paul would say in Galatians. Why are you eating with these Gentile sinners? They're unclean people. They're not fit to worship our God. They're not fit to be in his presence. Third Maccabees is a Jewish work of antiquity. It's a tale of ethnic hatred and misunderstanding. Gentiles are described as abominable by the Jews, lawless and empty-headed. Jewish-Gentile relations in the Mediterranean antiquity could be described as mutual animosity. This was a tense time. These people hated each other. Antiochus of Sidetes, he advised the people, he advised somebody in 132 BC to destroy the Jews, for they alone among all people refused all relations with other races and saw everyone else as their enemies. So you see Jews animosity against Gentiles, Gentiles animosity against Jews. But then the gospel of Jesus Christ enters the scene. We see Paul making the point to this Gentile church. Remember who you once were. He says in verse 11, So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised. There's a key verb here. Remember. Remember, Christians. He speaks to Gentiles in the original context, but he speaks to you today. Remember who you once were in your sin. This passage is coming right off of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The passage that we love. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. But he also says before that, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. You were carried along by the evil one, by the spirit of this age. You were bound by your flesh. As Paul says in Romans, your mind was set on the flesh. Thus your mind and your soul was at enmity with God and you couldn't even please God. Not only that, but you were once children of wrath underneath the just judgment of God because of your sin. So Christian, remember day in and day out, who you once were. He speaks to these Gentiles, remember that in your flesh, according to your physical appearance, you were once called Gentiles by the circumcised. You were once called the uncircumcised by the circumcised, the circumcised being the Jews. 
It was a, this term, the uncircumcised, when the Jews would use it, it was a slur. There's nothing happy. There's nothing normal about this. It's a slur. You were called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. And I want to make this point. Paul is distinguishing who these Gentiles once were, but he makes this point that this circumcision was done by human hands. Colossians speaks to us about how we as believers who have entered in to faith in Jesus have been circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. If only these Jews, these, the Jews of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, understood what Moses said in Deuteronomy, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. This was the circumcision that physical circumcision pointed to. And Paul makes the point, the circumcision that the Jews had is done by human hands. It is not of the heart. And so we see, Paul says in Romans chapter 2, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter, his praise is not from man, but from God. This is what true circumcision is, and this is what he's trying to convey to the Gentiles and to you today. Have you been circumcised in your heart? Have you been circumcised, born again into a living hope because of the work and the bloodshed of Christ? Are you a new creature? This is who you are, Gentiles in Ephesus. Is this who you are today, brothers and sisters? As, as followers of Christ, we know there is great hope in this gospel. But once again, he will point out, this is who you once were before you entered into this great love. He says in verse 12, at that time you were without Christ, Gentiles. You were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. This is a plight. This is a disaster. To be without Christ, we must understand that in the Old Testament, God ordained and chose Israel to be a people set apart. He chose Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans to bear a people that would glorify God and draw the nations to God. These Gentiles were not a part of that choosing in the Old Testament. These were all the other people groups that Israel was supposed to draw to God. They were without knowledge of the Messiah. They were without knowledge of a Savior that would redeem them from their own sin. They were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. They had no part in the state that Israel was. They had no true citizenship, just like you and I are citizens of America. If we were to go to Nairobi, Kenya, we would have no citizenship at all. We would have no respect from governmental authorities until we became citizens, until we subjected ourselves under their law. The Gentiles were not underneath this law of Israel. They were excluded from it. They were foreigners to the covenants of promise. Abraham, God promised him that God would use him and his offspring to bless the nations. He would do this. He showed in his covenant God himself promising through that fire pot, through the shedding of those, the blood of those animals, promising by covenant that he would bring forth a Messiah, that he would bring forth a blessing to all the nations through Abraham's seed. There was a covenant made to David that there would be a ruler who would come sit on the seat 
of Israel, the throne of Israel, and he would bring peace to the nations. He would bring peace to the world, and he would rule over Israel. The Gentiles were foreigners to this. They were without hope, and they were without God in the world. It's easy to not be able to relate to these Gentiles in the first century, but when we think about being without hope, being without God in this world, without hope, what, what does that make you think of? When I think of without hope, I think of the man or the woman who was on top of that building, September 11th, 2001, realizing they weren't going to get out. That's without hope. Without hope is that man who got off of the U-boat when they were storming the beaches of Normandy, realizing, seeing every comrade left and right, slaughtered, slaughtered, murdered, it's over. But take that hope, that lack of hope, times it by a million and another million, and that's only a fraction of what without hope means in this context. When you are separated from the loving presence of a holy God, when you don't have access to this God, that is what without hope means. It is a grave reality that we should not take for granted as believers. But we hear this word. We hear this word right when darkness comes, right when there is no hope, there is no light. We see the word but. We see the entrance of the peacemaker. We see him come in full fruition. But now, in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now, remember Zechariah's prophecy, those who were far off would be brought near and build up the temple of God. Gentiles, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ, my friends, this is the language of the covenant. This is the language of sacrifice. This is the language of Jesus Christ. This is the new covenant which I give to you in my blood and by the breaking of my body. By my blood and by my body, I bring you near. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer today, you are in Christ Jesus. There's no taking you out. If you read earlier in Ephesians, Paul makes the point that you have the Holy Spirit because you have trusted in Christ. You are in Christ. But not only that, the Holy Spirit has been put within you. He indwells you. You have been sealed because of the blood. You have a down payment. The Spirit is the down payment that you have an inheritance in heaven. This is the great hope that pushes away the darkness that the Gentiles were once in. And then Paul goes further. He says, for Jesus, he is our peace. He doesn't just bring peace. He does. But Jesus Christ is our peace. He makes both groups one and tears down the dividing wall of hostility. We have to see there's a temple inscription that was found in the archaeological world in Jerusalem, 1871, this, this inscription, this stone that was found, stated that if you're a Gentile, it was a part of the Jewish temple, but it stated that if you were a Gentile, if you entered past this certain point, if you went past the outer court of the Gentiles, your death would be on your own head, and it would be your fault. You cannot enter into this clean place, this holy place, if you're a Gentile. There is a dividing wall of hostility. There is a dividing wall that doesn't allow for people who are outside of the gates of heaven to enter in. 
We see here in Acts chapter 21, verses 25 through 29. He describes the scene here. So the next day, Paul took them in, having purified him along with them, and entered the temple, announcing the completion of the purification of days when the offering would be made for each one of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw him in the temple. Paul stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help! This is the man who teaches everyone, everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. What's more, Paul also brought Greeks, Gentiles, into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. This is the hostility. They think that there's a Gentile in the temple, thus the animosity, the stirring up of hatred towards these people. But Christ, he is our peace. He makes Jews and Gentiles one, tears down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, in verse 15, Jesus makes of no effect the law consisting of commandments and expressed in regulations. Many scholars and commenters have different views on this, but what I think he's saying here, Paul, is this is the Mosaic law, the ceremonial laws that the Jews had to perform to be in the presence of God, cleanliness laws. Jesus Christ fulfilled those. They were all pointing to him. Jesus says it's not a matter of unclean hands or what you eat. It's a matter of what comes out of your heart that makes you clean. This is what Jesus came to bring forth, to fulfill the laws expressed in ordinances, commands, and regulations. We see in Galatians chapter 3, before this faith came, Paul says, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian, our schoolmaster until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. The law was supposed to be a schoolmaster, pointing people to their need for the Messiah, Christ. They could not fulfill this law. But Christ made to no effect this law by fulfilling it, not by abolishing it, but by fulfilling it and bringing forth its fullness. So that what? Why is this the case? So that Christ might create, verse 15, in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. Jesus Christ brings the most ethnically hostile people in our world together to be one new man, to be one new creation. It's not a matter of the flesh, Paul says. It's a matter of new creation. The old passing away. Second Corinthians says we don't regard anyone according to the flesh. We regard them according to the spirit, new creation. We once regarded even Jesus according to the flesh as a Jew. But now we know who he is. He's the eternal son of God who takes away our sins. And when he takes the dividing wall of hostility out from underneath us, what results? Peace. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. I will make a covenant of peace with them, Ezekiel says. It will be a permanent covenant with them. I will establish and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary among them forever, the Lord says through Ezekiel. Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We see that Jesus brings peace. 
He is our peace. And any hostility, any divisions in our world today, Christ can bring together. Christ can mend. It is a matter of the heart. It is a matter of the sin that is within us that divides us. And Christ brings reconciliation. So we will see even here, verse 16, Jesus, he did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. Through his body, through the bloodshed, at the cross, he puts the hostility of Jews and Gentiles to death. Isn't it ironic that at the cross of Jesus Christ, who is standing there? A Roman Gentile centurion, and he is the one who declares this man is truly the Son of God. Who else is standing there? The Jewish people. The blood of Christ at the foot of the cross shows us that these people who put our Lord to death will be reconciled. This is a beautiful picture of that gospel. We see that picture. God promising Abraham, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed by my work of reconciliation, by my bloodshed that has brought both groups near. And then we see in Romans chapter 9, Paul making his argument here. Not, now it is not as though the word of God has failed, because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Neither is it the case that all of Abraham's children are his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac, the child of the promise. That is, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise who are considered to be the offspring. Brothers and sisters, this is the key. It doesn't matter about your physical descent. It doesn't matter about your physical heritage. It doesn't matter about where you come from or the color of your skin. It matters about the promise are you a person made in the image of God who comes to God by faith and faith alone? You are a son of Abraham. You are a son of God in Jesus Christ. It is not by physical descent. We may hear even the little kid. I grew, I, I grew up hearing this song. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you if you have trusted in Jesus Christ. These are the true sons of Abraham. I could go on and on about how Jesus ministered to the Gentiles. In his Gospels, he goes to the Gerasenes. He heals the demoniac who's a Gentile. The Gerasenes is an unclean region. But he says, go back and preach the good news. Tell everyone what I've done for you. Go into the unclean regions. We see the Samaritan leper when he heals the ten lepers. And the Samaritan, the unclean one, comes back. And he thanks Jesus for what he has done. Where is everyone else but this Samaritan his faith is great. And then we see when Jesus spreads the bread, 5,000 to the Jews, 5,000 people. How many breads, baskets of bread came back to him? 12. There's 12 tribes in Israel. But when Jesus shed and shared the bread and the fish to the 4,000, how many baskets came back? Seven. In Deuteronomy, he speaks of the seven Gentile pagan nations that he will drive out. That he will drive out so that Israel can inherit the land. But Jesus in that scene says, I will provide the bread of life for Jews, the tribes of Israel, and for the pagan nations, the Gentiles. 
This is where we see it. We see it in the gospel. Maybe not as explicitly in like we see it in Paul, but we see Jesus going into the Galilee of the Gentiles. He starts his public ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles. He goes up after he rises from the dead and he sees his disciples and he tells them before his death, meet me in Galilee of the Gentiles so that you can go make disciples of all people groups. This is the heart of our Lord to make disciples of all nations. He came in his earthly ministry to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But remember, not all who are Israel are Israel. It is those who are of faith. 17, verse 17, Jesus came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away and peace to those who were near. Verse 18, for through Jesus, we both Jews and Gentiles have access in one spirit to the Father. So we see this. That through this good news of peace, Gentiles and Jews have access to the Father. When the Gentiles couldn't enter the temple, Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days because my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. This is the power of the gospel. Reconciliation. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 shows us that our vertical relationship with our Father is destroyed because of our sin. It is cut off. But Jesus brings reconciliation between us and God. But this passage, when you keep reading, shows us that the horizontal relationships of brothers and sisters in Christ is restored because of the blood of Christ and only the blood of Christ. And because of the blood, we enter into the, holies of, the Holy of Holies. We enter into that sanctuary where the Holy Spirit dwells. And so as we see the peacemaker drawing all men to himself, drawing all people groups to himself, and then finally giving us the picture, giving us the privileges, the promised position that we all have through faith in Christ. He says in verse 19, so then, you Gentiles are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. You're no longer foreigners. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer unclean. You're no longer dirty. You are fellow citizens in my city. You are a citizen in the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. You are a member of my household. Who the son sets free is free indeed. The slave does not remain in the house, but the son, the son remains in the household forever. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And these Gentiles realize as we do today, that we have an inheritance, we have citizenship, we have membership in the household of God. And we see that this is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, Jesus, the whole building, being put together, grows into a holy temple. We see that Christ is the cornerstone, that, that stone, it was at the foundation of the temple that started the base of the temple. Then his apostles and prophets begin to build on that foundation in the early church. And he says that Gentiles, you are a part of that. You are growing into this holy temple. And we see 
even references that the people of God are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And then he finally ends. Positionally, verse 22, you Gentiles, in Jesus, in him, you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. You are living stones, Peter says in his epistle, are being built up. You are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This reconciliation that Christ has brought between all peoples, this blood that was shed to bring people together in love at the foot of the cross, now there's a privilege that comes with that. And you are considered now the temple. In Eden, God dwelled among Adam and Eve where they walked in the cool of the day, where the presence of God was, where the river flowed out onto earth. In Ezekiel, he has another vision of this temple where the rivers flow out of the temple into the world. In Ezekiel, the waters get deeper and deeper. In Revelation, we see at the throne of the Lamb and and of the Lord, we see Revelation, John says, the, the, the Lamb is the temple. He has bought people from every nation, tribe, and tongue in the rivers, what I believe is the Holy Spirit, flowing out into the world. We are messengers of that river. Jesus says, when you come to me and believe, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water, rivers of water that will quench the thirst of those who are lost and destitute of me. Jesus says, you are that ambassador, brothers and sisters. When you see tension ethnically today, when you see hostility today, when you see all these things, remember, you are being built up into a dwelling place of the Holy Ghost. You are the means by which love, righteousness, peace, and justice enter into the world. And by being ambassadors of Christ, ministers of this reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles through Christ alone, we will see the knowledge of the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the seas.